Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes, so that'll be even more fruitful. Today, we're going to talk about the secrets of pruning. All right, pruning, snip, snip. What do you do in life when you feel the steel? I want to welcome you to part two of our series, Roots in which we're talking about growing deeper in our faith. And honestly, we have to acknowledge none of us likes to get cut, do they? I'm guessing there's nobody here in, uh, at any of our campuses, Morristown, New Brunswick, watching, listening online, that would raise their hand and say, I really want to grow deep this fall, God, so would you please just kind of prune me back and cut me? And yet pruning parts of our lives is one of the primary ways that God grows our faith, according to Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus teaches about the vine and the branches. And I want to look at the scripture together just to kind of see what he's talking about and get at this. Last week we looked at Jesus' teaching about four soils, what it means to be radically rooted in Christ. Jesus was always using this organic imagery to show what it means to follow him. Seeds, weeds, trees. And in John 15, a vine and its branches. Now this is one of Jesus' seven I am statements in John's gospel. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And here in John 15, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he says again, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. Branches. Fruit. Snip, snip. Oh, we got a leaf there, a live one. Woo! God prunes parts of our lives at certain seasons that although it may appear, notice, to be painful or careless or cruel on the surface, in reality, it's one of the most loving things God can do if we're going to reach our full potential as followers of Christ. Now, this is actually a fairly straightforward story that Jesus gives. He says, look, I'm the vine. You know your part. You who claim to be my followers, you're the branches and my father is the gardener and Jesus is not being condescending here like he's saying you're no better than a house plant he's actually making a startling statement about the potential of every man and woman every human being on the planet he's basically saying you have the potential to grow an incredibly fruitful life just as physically you hope to grow bigger and stronger hopefully not just wider every human being has the potential to grow spiritually to blossom So in other words, mark this, the way you are today 
is not the way you will be forever. And that's hopeful because it means God has planted seeds of greatness in every person in this room. In Christ, you have unlimited potential. And it's not simply to be a religious person or be a good person, but to achieve in the eyes of God true greatness. So what that means is it doesn't matter what you currently are or what others say that you are. <laughs> if you're a stingy person, you have the potential to actually be generous. If you're the kind of person who holds grudges, you have the potential to be forgiving. If you're proud, you're selfish, you have the potential, imagine this, to be humble and put others ahead of yourself. You may even be thinking of this, listening and thinking, well, I'm Tim, I'm unhappy, I'm depressed. Though you may not even feel it, you have the potential to experience joy. The question is, how do you unleash that potential? The secret is God's pruning technique. And this is fascinating. How many of you have ever been to a nursery or a garden center? Anybody here? You've been to one? Okay. If you spend any time around plant people or landscapers, you know that some people have a green thumb around living things. Others of us a bit clumsy. We shouldn't go 20 feet within a greenhouse. Here in John 15, Jesus says, I'm going to let you in on a secret of spiritual growth. He says, if your life is going to be fruitful, yeah? If you're going to unlock the potential that God's planted in you, the character, the, the, the greatness that God's planted in you, then you have to understand how the master gardener prunes his people. And the first thing he does, he says, is that God in our life takes out, he removes the deadwood in our lives. That's the first thing. If you're taking notes, it's the first fill in the blank. Jesus says, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that what? That bears no fruit. And what he's talking about here is people who have a superficial commitment to Christ. We've all met religious people who would call themselves Christian, and, but the reality is their lives are completely unfruitful. They may go to church. They may listen to Christian music. They may have a fish bumper sticker on their Vespa. But at the end of the day, there is no difference whatsoever between them and the rest of the world. When they're offended or they get hurt, they hit back or strike back. When they're afraid, ah, they get anxious, stressed out, cowardly or fearful. If they come into power or wealth, they use it to serve themselves. That's how the mass of humanity lives. You guys know this. We come out of the womb blind and sinful and selfish, and we learn that's not really acceptable with most adults, so we get religious. It's the worst. Jesus is not talking about religion here. Religion is a man-made self-help program to mask our character deficits. It really is. Religion is just when we force ourselves to change our outer behavior, kind of clean up our act a little bit and become a better person. The problem is, Jesus says, that's not true life. That's dead life. That's, that's not authentic growth. Where, where God's living within you, he's actually living his life through you, this is a form of mechanical morality. It's something that may work on the surface, but it's forced and it's wooden. And underneath the surface is actually dead wood. So God cuts it off. That's what a gardener does. Verse 6 says, If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have areas of our lives that are deadwood, don't we? I mean, when you first become a Christian, think about this, those of you who are in the journey for a long time, the areas for growth are pretty obvious, right? First, you take care of BJS. You know what BJS is? Big, juicy sins. You get Jesus and say, say oh boy, okay, I've got to change something. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop sleeping around or I've got to clean up my language. And when you learn that God loves you, accepts you, that he actually does forgive your sins through Christ's sacrifice, it's powerful. You actually draw strength from his love pulsing through you. 
And you may have had success in limiting some of those big juicy sins in your life. But what happens is, over time, if you don't grow deeper, rooting yourself in Christ, you come to think a relationship with God is about this kind of growing list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that, and it may bring some like superficial improvement. But the change is from the outside, yeah, in. It's mechanical morality, not the kind of organic attachment Jesus is describing here. In fact, the worst thing, honestly, in my opinion, that can happen to a Christian is you get some results from your self-effort. You actually succeed in cleaning up your life, and people say, wow, you've, you've really changed. And you, if you stick around the church, you'll learn to mimic humility. You'll go like this, oh, no, that's not me, it's God. I just got, not me. But inwardly, you're like, yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I'm obeying. Glad you noticed. <laughs> you, oh, you've never done it. And you start believing that you're earning God's love and acceptance and you think, you know what, I've worked hard for this. I can produce fruit. But you know what the reality is? It is, look alive, fake. Someone like, that just bounced off my head. What happened there? It's fake. That's actually, this actually is a, is a fake orange tree. Uh, I should, no, I should say that. That's not true. The tree is real. It's a hibiscus tree. It's quite alive and quite beautiful. But the oranges are artificial. We weren't able to get a flowering orange tree in New Jersey. I'm not sure why that is. So... <laughs> We got these simulated oranges online and we attached them. But it's the oddest thing. When we attached the oranges to the tree, they didn't become magically real. We don't know why that is. We know. Everyone knows that's not how it works. Fruit does not grow from the outside in. You don't put that on the tree. It's the other way around. It's only when a branch is drawing life from the original source, from a tree or a vine, that it actually produces the real thing. Oh, this is good times right there. That's the stuff right there. Now that, look alive here now. Oh, look at you in the front row. This is like Gallagher. You got to wear a trash bag, right, to come to church. From a distance, can you tell the difference? Do you know which one? Actually, you can't from a distance. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's like, in any church, there will claim to be people who, who, who believe in Jesus. They love God, but what they have is actually, ow an artificial morality, a generic belief in God that looks genuine, but it's not a living organic faith that's, that's attached to the person of Christ from which you actually draw on his pulsating life inside of you and, and you bear real fruit from a distance. Again, it may look the same, but one's organic while the other is plastic, dead wood, which is what the gardener cuts off first. So the question we first need to ask ourselves honestly is what parts of my life are spiritually unproductive. Early on in my marriage, there were parts of our relationship that were unproductive. Uh, every young couple who, you know, gets married, they start out with high hopes, and they say, we'll never lose the love, you know, of our wedding day. And then life sets in, and there were all sorts of areas that I was unprepared for, and they became sources of friction in our marriage. Uh, I think, like, for the first, you know, sex, money, there wasn't enough of either for the first two years, I felt. Uh, and so... I would suddenly try to communicate that to my, my wife and, and who got defensive and we'd argue and I would use my communication skills to help her see how badly she was wronging me. Uh, but she had her own list and that was another kind of unforgiving habit that we had in our relationship. We had lists of things that we'd done to each other and we'd use them for ammunition whenever we felt hurt or wronged. It's what couples do. And we were both believers, got this, we, we be both believed Jesus Christ was, was God's son in our, and, and we'd made those vows, we said, Jesus, be in our marriage but we didn't draw on his power because you need supernatural power actually in a relationship. Instead, we tried to do our best, we tried hard to love and honor and cherish each other 
with all the strength and good intentions we had within us, but it wasn't enough. It was dead wood. It was actually producing kind of a hardening of our hearts towards each other where you start going through the motions. And that was painful to acknowledge, that I didn't have enough love in me. I didn't have enough forgiveness, enough grace. Tim Lucas, not enough Christ. His love actually pulsating through my veins to actually love my wife to her full potential the way that she deserved. That's a sobering thought, isn't that? That apart from the life of Christ living in you and loving others through you, everything we do is forced, fake, and worthless. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do what? Nothing. Our best efforts are fruitless, says Jesus. It's kind of a picture of utter dependency that we can only draw true life and love from the vine itself. But that's hard to admit. Our pride honestly doesn't like to acknowledge that, so we kind of make these superficial changes that appear to be fruitful on the outside but don't really last. Uh, years ago when I did uh, marriage counseling, I don't do that much anymore. Our campus pastors primarily handle that. But this one couple contacted me who were going through a rough patch in their relationship, and it's usually they call me when things have gotten to the brink of a breakup. And, uh, and, and typically, you know, again, guy, girl, doesn't even matter. I'll just use the guy as an example. The, the woman will say, he doesn't listen to me, and he's never going to change. And she'll have a list of grievances, areas of neglect or emotional hurts that he's never acknowledged, how he always just kind of thinks of himself and puts his priorities ahead of hers, which makes her feel unloved. And, and the guy just sits there typically. And he just goes, uh, uh, like this. Until she makes an ultimatum and says, I'm not taking it anymore and I'm leaving you. And then all of a sudden there's this like switch that happens. And he says, no, no, switch. I'll do whatever it takes. I promise I will change. I love you. I'll do anything for you. And when those words come out of his mouth, I'm like, that sounds like love. That sounds like Jerry Maguire. I'll do anything for you, you know? And you know what happens? He means it. He's not being a faker. They go home and he makes some changes, actually follows through. But the moment things stabilize, I've seen this time and again, the threat of breakup passes, he goes right back to his old habits. And then they call me because we're like, we're back at our old spot. Why? Because there was not an organic change of heart born out of love. There was... There was some surface activity that was artificial, forced. There wasn't genuine love. There was actually fear because at the end of the day, the guy was like, I, what would I do without her? I can't imagine being alone, which who's he thinking about? Himself, the source of his original angst. That's why outside-in change isn't sustainable. It bends the will, but it misses the heart. It needs something supernatural to draw on. And you have to actually acknowledge, apart from the love of God himself inside of me, I can do what? Nothing. Futility. Any fruit we think we see is fake. See, any gardener who's worth his salt is after one thing and one thing only. 100% organic fruit. In fact, I went to a local nursery to see how a professional pruner cultivates it firsthand. So I'm here with Pete at the farm at Green Village. He's the nursery manager here, oversees mm -hmm. all of their trees and shrubs, and I don't know anything about pruning. You do. Okay. Tell me what you look for in a tree that needs to be pruned. Well, first off, what you'd want to do is you want to look through and find any dead branches. That's the most important. Something like this, you know, you can see it's very brittle. It breaks apart very easily. It's wood that has died back over the course of a year or a couple of years. It hasn't been pruned out. Taking those out is the most important thing you can start with because after that you can work on pruning other parts where you're actually going to get more of a response from the tree. This is a flowering pear tree. 
Okay. Uh, it does produce pears, as you can see. They're non-edible. I mean, you can eat them, but they're not very good. Uh, and it's just a very nice flowering tree. <laughs> this, this is what a Jersey pear looks like. <laughs> like I said, they do taste like pears, only very, very bitter. Uh, and this guy usually goes very fast, so getting dead growth like this is a very common thing that you're going to get because um, as it continues to push on growth, it will drop other parts of the tree that are not as important as, say, the, the main stem or the branches branching off the top there. Okay, so the first step is to prune off the dead branches, take those out, but then mm -hmm. what do you do with the live ones? Well, with the live ones, you want to go through and you want to cut the stuff off or prune it off that's crossing. You can see a good example right there. There's a crossing branch where it's rubbing up against another one and what it does is it causes friction and eventually it uh, causes a wound for infestation from disease and from insects. Uh, so what you'd want to do is go through and take something like that out, say like this branch here, and by doing so you're alleviating that that well there would have been a scar here eventually but where it would rub together. Now what do you cut a live branch, does it hurt the tree? No, it doesn't hurt the tree. What it does is, by doing that, you're forcing the growth to the better parts of the tree, to the areas where you're going to get blooms, where you're going to get more growth, where you're going to get a better shape and a better form overall. Pete, tell me about the relationship between fruit and pruning. Between fruit and pruning? Um, well, with the right pruning, you can get more flowering, and from the flowering is where you can get your fruit. Everywhere you have a flower is where you're going to get a fruit. Okay. So if you prune properly, you're going to get a much better flower production. With that, you're going to get a much better fruit production like you can see here. So a lot of that goes in. If you, if you leave the dead wood on across the branches, you're not going to have as good of a flower uh, production, like I said, and then you won't get as much many fruit either. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that'll be even more fruitful. So the first secret to pruning, Jesus says, is you gotta remove the dead wood. What, what parts of your life are unproductive? Because God's not after superficial change or this kind of forced, mechanistic morality that you have. He wants our whole person attached to Christ and actually drawing life from his son. That's why the second thing he does is prune the living branches. And this seems unfair because we get the first part of pruning. Everyone gets that. Of course, ditch the deadwood, right? It can infect the tree. It can rob energy. It makes, it makes sense to cut off dead limbs in your life. But have you ever seen a tree or a vine that actually is fruitful actually get pruned in season? It's actually very That's not ugly enough. It's upsetting. Do you know why? Because it looks like the gardener's attacking the plant, doing something horrible to a perfectly good tree, which is how it sometimes feels when God prunes back something in our life that we love. We 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 lose a relationship that we thought was working. Or, or we lose a loved one, or a job. We lose a dream, I. And we think, God, what are you doing? To the untrained eye, it seems like maybe the gardener's trying to kill the plant, doesn't it? Has anyone here ever been to wine country? Ever been to Napa, Sonoma, in California, anybody? Okay, no one's acknowledging it. My brother lives in San Francisco, so we visited. If you go to Napa during pruning season, if you are not a trained vineyard dresser, that's what a vine dresser is, what you'd see in pruning season in Napa would make no sense at all. 
Because you'd walk into a vineyard and you'd see bright green leaves like littered over the whole ground. You'd see clumps of grapes that seemed like they were just ripening, hacked off, all this fruit going to waste. And the vine itself looks decapitated. Broken branches kind of cut back to the nub. It's bleeding in a hundred different places. And to the untrained eye, you know what the vineyard looks like? A crime scene. <laughs> like someone just kind of randomly attacked it. But to a trained gardener, get this, none of it's random. None of it is cruel. In fact, it's one of the greatest gifts he can give the plant. Why? What's the goal of the gardener? To release the potential of that plant and make it the most productive and fruitful it can be. His, he has one goal. I want to bring out the very best in this vine. So what does he do? He cuts it. And only by pruning back the living branches does he stimulate the kind of growth that bears the best fruit. Pruning is actually the most important tool in the vine dresser's arsenal. It's not planting, it's not watering, it's not fertilizing. It's knowing when do you prune a living branch at just the right moment in just the right season. Again, there are parallels between the physical world and the spiritual, how God grows us at different seasons of our life. H have, you, have you ever had an experience in your life where you suddenly lose something that was growing <laughs> to, to which you'd become attached? It, it seemed productive, it was very sweet, and suddenly it's taken away or lopped off. So suddenly uh, he or she breaks up with you. What? Y your career ends. Or now I've got to move and, and relocate and got to start all over again. Everything is new. You lose a dream. You sit there, dazed and bleeding, and you wonder, what's God doing? Is he trying to kill me? Why would he let this happen? Now consider the perspective of the gardener. <laughs> Jesus is like, guys... The Father knows what he's doing. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to develop you. And when you find yourself under his blade, when you feel the steel in your life, you've got to do two things. The first is you've got to trust the gardener. Tim Keller, to whom I'm indebted for this, I want to give him credit. Just brilliant mind. He puts it this way. He says, God the gardener cuts off nothing that wouldn't have been a gain to lose or a loss to keep. This is a principle that runs through everything. You give gold to a metal worker, what does he do? He runs it through the furnace. You give an athlete to a coach, and what's the coach do? Five more laps around the field, and you think, he's going to kill us. What, what's a parent do with a kid? He disciplines the child because he's trying to what? Develop his character. My little, bo my little boy has a DS. You guys know what the DS is? It's like a little gaming kind of station, and he gets very possessive about this thing. So my, his daughter, my daughter, his sister, picks it up, starts playing with it, and he goes, he goes, he rips it out of her hands, he goes, it's mine! And then he hits her on the back for good measure, just to send a message. And I'm right there, and I said, that's it, give it to me, give it to me. What do you mean, wait, give me the DS. No, 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 you lost it for a week, and I take it from him, because why? We want to teach him to share, and you got to keep your hands to yourself. So I take his DS away, and do you know what he says? He goes, Daddy's being mean to me! Colleen hears the commotion. She runs and she goes, what's the matter? She goes, Daddy's ruined my life. <laughs> now, what am I really trying to do here? What, what's a coach trying to do with the athlete? What, what's a gardener trying to do with the plant? Cut, prune, stretch, discipline, ruin their life. Why? Because for the purpose of growth, the only way to develop those things is to hurt them with love. Hebrews 12.1 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what? What's the word? Painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Pruning is painful, momentarily. But in the long run, it's the greatest gift God gives his children. Th did you notice in Jesus' story, 
who doesn't get cut? Nobody. Nobody escapes the knife. Everybody gets cut. It's not just the the, the dead branches. (laughs) These guys get cut back and thrown into the fire. But the living ones that bear fruit, they get cut back even further. So they'll grow even greater. And this is scary, isn't it? Isn't it scary? We serve a scary God. When you feel God steal in your life, maybe, maybe you're under the knife right now, you've got to trust the gardener. Romans 8 says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his what? To his purpose. In other words, Jesus is like, the, the gardener has, has a larger purpose in mind. You may not understand right now why he'd take away something you're attached to, but the gardener knows something you don't. Unless he cuts it back, you won't grow in any other way. Some of you can look at your life right now and you see yourself bleeding in a hundred different places, yeah? And and you see things on the ground that you once once held dear. And, and, you know, grapes, fruits, grapes, all missed opportunities, might have beens. And they look like they'll never come back. Look, it's all... And you think, how could he do this to me? A skilled eye trusts the gardener knows what he's doing. That this is not an act of cruelty. It's not random suffering. It's your heavenly father achieving his larger purpose of drawing out your potential in Christ. And he cuts nothing away that wouldn't have been a loss to keep or a gain to lose. Why'd you laugh at my son? Why'd you laugh at his reaction to the DS? Daddy, he's ruined my life! Ha 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 ha, Why? We laugh because the kid lacks potential. He's a child, his, his, his perspective, I should say. He, he's a kid, he has no perspective. He can't see the larger purpose behind my discipline. Is it just possible that the things in your life that appear to have been merciless attacks on you by God, things that you cause you pain because you can't imagine life without them, that maybe you feel what a child feels in the hands of his parents, what a branch feels in the hands of the gardener. That's what a true Christian often feels like in the hands of his heavenly father. Is it possible he has taken nothing away from you that wouldn't have been a loss to keep or a gain to lose? You can't see it now, but in a little while after a season, you'll understand why. I remember my, uh, my sophomore year of high school, I actually blew out my elbow, right elbow, playing hockey. And had to sit out for a season. It was devastating. I loved hockey. And uh, I could not understand why God uh, would let that happen to me. It was to take away something I loved. It was my passion. And I was angry because that season all my friends skated and practiced. And I was stuck in the stands and I had nothing else to do. So I ended up joining the school newspaper where I found I had a modest talent for writing. Actually became an editor of the paper that winter, which led the next year to becoming an English major in college and then a journalism teaching assistant, which is actually what taught me to write and communicate, which, which bears some fruit to this day. At the time I blew up my elbow, I thought, there goes my NHL career. <laughs> but that season of loss was God's way of pruning back my passion. It wasn't wrong, but God had a different eternal purpose for me that I had little clue about then. Jesus says, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. That's why everybody gets cut. Not because I'm cruel, but because I care. And I want you to have a full life. So when you feel the steel of God's blade, you have to trust the gardener above all else. But then secondly, you have to, what does Jesus say? He is, you have to cling to the vine. Biologically, do you know what, uh, what happens to a branch that, that's cut back? Let me take uh, one. If you take a branch that's cut back, do you know what happens? Because it's wounded, 
it is forced to draw even more deeply on the vine in a way it never has before. That's the whole secret of pruning. When, 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 when it's wounded, you find yourself being tested. You find yourself going through a season of loss. It draws you back to the vine to rely on Christ as the only source of security you actually have in this life. The question is, are you prepared to do that? Those of you who are going through something, would you allow the pruning in your life right now to draw you back to Christ? See, one of the greatest dangers of living a blessed life <laughs> is that we, we, we see God's blessings in our life, yeah? and we come to love his gifts more than the giver. That's why it's painful when parts of our life gets pruned back. It hurts because we were sucking on the stem. I was trying to draw my life out of this thing. Now I see. Christ wants me to get my life out of him. He says, I'm the vine. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, what's the word? Remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Notice the word remain appears four times in verse 4. Jesus was putting a little emphasis on that syllable, remain, <laughs> to remain or abide. In other words, I want you to continue to draw your strength, your significance, your sense of actually love and acceptance from the living spirit of my son inside of you. That's God's whole dream for your whole life, that, that, you, would, that you would be organically attached to Jesus Christ. See, guys, this is the opposite of mechanistic morality. When we actually trust God, even when we can't understand what he's doing. And we lean in close and we cling to the vine and draw on his strength and power, not my own. And the, and the byproduct is what? It's genuine fruit. It's organic because it's from the inside out, from our, our, our union with Christ. Folks, listen to me. If you get nothing else, get this. Christianity is not organized religion. It's an organic relationship of love and trust with your Father and with His Son Jesus who gave His life for you. When you feel the steel, cling to the vine. Let it drive you back to the source of life, this wounded, bleeding, holy life that is found only in Jesus Christ. That is the whole point of this, guys. The crucified life of Christ within us that we draw on through every season, whether it's harvest time or it's pruning season. We draw on Christ within and we grow. If you're new to Christianity or you're in fact just kicking the tires, you may ask, well, why trust Jesus among other gods? I mean, if God is, is that capricious and, and you may get cut by him, why trust Jesus? Have you ever considered that Jesus knows what God's knife feels like? On the cross, Jesus was literally cut off. Why have you abandoned me? And he hung on that tree. And scripture says he was wounded for your transgressions. He was what? He was pierced for our iniquities. He bled for you. And through it all, he never stopped trusting the Father through the whole thing. And he never stopped loving you. And that's why we can trust him. That's why he says, attach yourself to me. Let me be your life and I will show you how to get through this. I will show you. I want you to bear fruit. Now hear me on this. Because this is not to say that God is the source of every loss or pain or ache in our life. The point is that he uses pain to deepen our faith and reliance on his son, if we'll let him. When you feel the steel, 
one possible explanation is that you're, you're so shattered to lose this thing because you've mistaken the fruit for the vine and said, this is my life. This is my security. This is the thing out of which I draw my significance. And out of love, God's pruning you back because it would enslave you if he didn't. It would compete with the true vine. Remain in me. Abide in me, Jesus says. I'm inviting you into something. I love the message paraphrase of John 15, 5. It says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then Jesus says, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Folks, the Christian faith is not about joining an organized religion. It's about enjoying an organic relationship, you and God. Christ's spirit inside of you, flowing through you, shaping your thoughts, actually literally pulsing through your attitudes and producing this, this organic fruit. What, what, what kind of fruit are you talking about? Jesus quickly mentions three. Do you see them? He says, answered prayer. That's the first fruit in the life of those who are vitally connected to Christ. Verse 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And, and this isn't some magic genie promise, okay? This is how televangelists will misuse it. I'll give you three wishes. No. The point is, when we attach ourselves to the vine, we attach ourselves to the resurrected life of Christ, when our lives are intertwined with his, we find our prayers will be controlled by his words because we know his heart. So much so that when we pray, our, our desires and God's actually harmonize and we begin praying for the things that bring him glory, not just us. It does not mean we get what we want, okay? We begin actually praying like Jesus did in the garden. You remember his garden prayer? Not my will, Father, but what? Yours be done. Answered prayer is the first fruit. The second is joy. Verse 11 says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is 180 degrees different than happiness. Happiness is based on happenings, right? When things go well, we're elated. When hardship comes, we get depressed. But true joy transcends our circumstances because we actually, we're rooted in something deeper we're something stronger, that living relationship with Jesus. And when our lives intertwine with his, he actually helps us walk through times of testing and hardship without going into debilitating lows. Or if it's harvest time, maybe you're in a time of prosperity. Your orchard's full, man. Your basket's full. You don't go crazy because the joy of Christ keeps you level-headed. You have the perspective of the cross. You understand. You get the gospel. Suffering, the cross, always precedes the crown. Always. Joy, second organic fruit. The third is greatest of all. Jesus says love. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. My command's this. Love each other as I loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Why draw your life from Jesus? Because Jesus made the first choice to love and die for you. He was cut off, so you would be cut back. That's the trade-off. And now the choice is yours. You are dead wood. But through Christ, God grafted us into the true vine. And, and, and the question is, will you surrender your life and actually say, I can't save myself. I can't even produce anything of worth on my own. And say, actually say, Jesus, I, I want your life. I want your life, not mine. 
pulsing through my veins. Bring me to life. Forgive my sins and put your spirit in me so I can live for you. When that happens, guys, you experience a new power. You actually have the power to love others sacrificially. That's what happened in my marriage. I learned to die to Tim a little bit, alive to Christ and Colleen. I'm not talking superficial. I can tolerate them now. <laughs> That's what most people limp along. Ah, I can deal with her, whatever. But to really love someone from the heart, to actually forgive them, where does that power come from? The vine! Because you say, that's how Christ loved me. He forgave me and he's changing me and he's giving me the power to organically love that way too. He was cut off so I could be cut back and bear fruit, real fruit that lasts. Closing question for you. Are you attached to the vine? Only the gardener knows. I look out at a crowd like this and honestly, I can't tell the difference. Can you? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing, and I'm sure we have folks here today who are attached to religion, which sort of sort of looks right, doesn't it? Jesus is inviting you. Ditch your plastic religion and attach yourself to him. Maybe you are currently in a season of loss or being pruned back, and it's painful. Trust the gardener. Cling to the vine. That's what communion is all about. In one moment, we're going to give you time to respond to God's word by approaching the cross with a prayer. Maybe you want to write a prayer about an unproductive part of your life and offer it to Christ. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe you want to light a candle on behalf of someone who is going through a season of being cut back. You're remembering them today. You're praying. That's why you're lighting a candle. Or maybe you're going to take communion. Don't miss the connection. When Jesus held the cup of the Last Supper, he said it was filled with the fruit of the vine. That's the blood of Christ. So as you dip your bread, the body of Christ, in the fruit of the vine, let that be more than a ritual, but a living symbol of drawing close, reconnecting your life to Christ. He's here, he is present, and he's waiting to meet you at his table. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, I'm praying, Father, as we come to your table, reattach us. We forfeit our lives. We count them lost to gain yours. Father, right now I'm praying for everybody in this congregation, this whole church who's going through a painful season. Maybe it is pruning, Father, an area of their life that once had been growing and you're pruning them back. Father, I pray for you right now. I'm asking that you will move into their life, balm their, their wounds, Father. Let them feel your spirit, Lord, coursing through their veins. Father, I pray for the unproductive parts of our life together, my life, God, start with me. We give ourselves to you and trust your hand. Lord, let us cling to the vine now as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.